you ready? Okay, I'm ready. The Jesse Blake Sports Report. Really? Oh, wait, really? The Jesse Blake Sports Report. That's it? Don't forget, it's the Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. <laughs> you know, that's kind of redundant. Dude, is there a problem? No, no, that's fine. I, I just, you know, I thought maybe you guys would come up with something, you know, good. Man, I just read it. You know what? Doesn't matter to me. I get paid by the word. <laughs> Let's do this. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome to another episode of the Jesse Blake Sports Report. Today, we are lucky to be in the presence of Cam Lewis, content creator over at Blue Jays Nation, host of the great podcast, Blue Jays Nation Radio. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Cam, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. How's it going, Jesse? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. I'm good. I, I want to I wanna start with the All-Star Game tonight. It goes tonight, Dodger Stadium. Uh Second All-Star game since uh, the pandemic happened. We, we had to skip one year. The American League's on like an eight All-Star game winning streak. But like this season in particular, the All-Star game is kind of worth watching. Because MLB revealed that at the, if there's a tie at the end of nine innings, they're going to have a home run derby. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing. So I think we're kind of now all hoping that that's exactly what happens is we're hoping that, okay, say the American League's up by two runs in the ninth inning to bring in like a position player to pitch and give up a couple of runs because we all want to see that. I don't know if this would ever be a thing that makes its way into an actual big league game. I think that'd be a little bit crazy. But if there ever was a time to just be like, okay, who can hit the most dingers and nine at bats? That adds a flair to the all-star game that I don't think we've ever really seen before. And everyone loves the home run derby. Like that's the one part of, if you look at all the all-star games and all the North American sports, like the home run derby, I think is one of the most appealing things that any league does. So if you can find a way to get that into a game that matters, that's super fun. Yeah, it seems to be universally loved. Like, unlike the slam dunk competition has kind of fallen out of favor recently because people have kind of done all the dunks and then everybody universally hates the uh, uh, NHL all-star game because it, yep. it kind of sucks. And then the MLB has kind of figured it out with this home run derby thing and then p- incorporating into the game. It's it's genius. Exactly. Everyone loves dingers. That's, that's the thing with baseball. And no better time than the all-star game. You have all these guys that can just mash. And Dodger Stadium is a cool park, too. So it's just let's sit back. And it's almost like watching golf. It's like, okay, like I get to see this cool aesthetic ballpark with guys just launching balls into space. And that's what baseball's all about. <laughs> right. And like, I don't think we should rule it out for it ever being a part of the regular season game. Cause like the idea that the shootout in hockey decides regular season hockey games is absurd. Like, there's no way it should decide games, but it does. So maybe one day we get the home run derby deciding actual baseball games. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be shocking to me. Like, it seems like Major League Baseball is, like, looking to lean into these more, I guess, quote-unquote gimmicky things. Like, you know, during the lockout, they were talking about ways to spice up the playoffs. And it was like, oh, how about, you know, you have more teams and the number one team then gets to pick their opponent in the first round. And we can have, like, a big show on MLB Network where, you know, the Yankees decide, hey, we want to face the Jays in the first round. The Jays fans start melting down because the Yankees think the Jays are bad. It's just good for beef. So MLB is trying to make themselves a bit more youthful, a little bit more interesting. For some people, that works. For some people, it doesn't. But uh, given the way things are moving, it wouldn't be shocking to me if within the next like five years, we see a thing like this for tiebreakers. 
Yeah, we saw uh, the runners starting on second base mm-hmm. happen last year because they need to get all the games in quickly. But like something like that, it got abandoned pretty quickly because of all the hate they received from it. But like that, there was a start. And to catch anybody up, if you don't know the rules going into tonight's All-Star game. So uh, uh, beginning with the current collective bargaining agreement, any All-Star game tied after nine innings will be settled with uh, not extra innings, but with a home run derby. The managers will select three players, and we know the players. It's uh, Ty France, Julio Rodriguez, uh, Kyle Tucker for the American League, and the National League, it's Pete Alonso, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Kyle Schwarber. And then each of those players gets three swings, and the team with the highest combined home run total wins the entire game. So those are the rules for everybody out there. And uh, Cam sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn we got the odds for the game tonight it's about even on both sides nobody's really the favorite because it's an Mm all-star game it's about two to one of your money where are you placing a bet who are you picking american league national league well i'm a homer so i gotta go with the american league got a lot of blue jays in the game so maybe that's a positive i I, like you said it's an all-star game so it's everyone's good it's random it's difficult to select but american league always seems to win these things so i think they're just going to keep rolling yeah, yeah, like I would I would also lean to heavy on the American League just because, you know, you got to root for all the Jays that are there. I think it's the stronger league, too, to be honest with you. You look at the teams and you're just like, damn, there is a lot of talent in this league. There there seems to be more terrible teams in the National League and more mediocre teams. That's yeah, just the, the bottom of the National League seems like just a wasteland of just yeah. awful teams. Just teams without like a good guy. Teams where I'm just like, who's the best guy on the Reds? And you're like, uh, hmm. I'm not really sure who's the best guy on the Pirates, like that kind of thing. Whereas the American League, there's a lot more star power. You're like, is, be it totally still, wrong, is it still Joey Votto? And he, he's the 35-year-old <laughs> right. there, you know? That's pretty much where that franchise is at. Yeah, yeah they're the one-man franchise. So, yeah, if you're going to place a bet there, it's 19 plus, And please play responsibly. I'm going to be watching the All-Star game tonight. It seems like it's going to... And there's no other sports on, so I'm not really given a choice mm-hmm. if, I want, if I want sports content yeah. tonight. So, yeah, the All-Star game it is. Uh, let's rewind to last Wednesday. And I was listening to uh, you and Tyler on uh, Blue Jays Nation Radio debating about whether this news dump of Charlie Montoyo being fired by the Blue Jays was purposely done in the middle of free agency frenzy here in Canada as a way to hide the news and shield it from the eyes of Canadians. Because we were all talking about, you know, Engvall's getting re-signed and nobody's really focusing on the Blue Jays' manager. Did you think that this news dump of the Blue Jays firing their manager was done on purpose in the middle of free agency frenzy last Wednesday? It just seems all too convenient, right? Like, there was also the thing we discussed, which was, well, they couldn't really do it because um, Budzinski's daughter passed away, and that's obviously a tragic event the team is dealing with, and then all the coaching staff and multiple players went to a funeral on the Monday um, following the Seattle series. So Charlie winds up getting fired on the Wednesday. He manages a win on the Tuesday and gets fired right after, which is what made it seem so bizarre. You really, uh, I mean, I guess hypothetically, you could have done it on the Tuesday immediately following the team all going to the funeral, but there's a lot of balls in the air there. It does kind of make sense, but it just, to me, it seems all too convenient. Like maybe they could have waited until the all-star break to execute it. Maybe they could have waited till the beginning of the Kansas city series it just, again, it makes too much sense that it wouldn't be shocking to me if there was a little bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge with the decision makers being like, you know what, like, let's put this here on a day where, you know, the news cycle is going to be largely focused on something else so that we don't create ourselves a controversy so that we can be continually viewed in a positive light. 
Yeah, and I thought um, Ken Rosenthal wrote an article that like following day about how it was a cold decision to have uh, him fired directly after uh, the tragedy that happened in, mm-hmm. in the Blue Jays uh, management circles, you know, and like that, that hit me kind of, it shocked me that Rosenthal would take such a direct stance against Blue Jays management and, and what happened there in the sequence of events of, in the timeline. You know, it was very clear, like he he put a line in the sand that, hey, mm-hmm. this wasn't good timing at all by anybody's part by management. No, not at all. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that most certainly could have waited until the All-Star break to do it. Because, you know, it happens and John Schneider comes in and he gets the final game of that two-gamer against Philly and then a four-gamer against Kansas City. And then, you know, you have a whole bunch of time off here. You can kind of get it done and then Schneider can come in at the beginning of the second half of the season. But I guess they wanted to give John Schneider those few games right before the All-Star break to kind of land and get the attention of the room and then get some momentum going into the all-star break so they can come out strong. Maybe that was the logic. It's really hard to say, but I wouldn't blame anybody for thinking that it wasn't the best optics, the way, the way it all shook out. It's uh, it's an unfortunate situation, a tragedy. Obviously you can't predict that, but maybe they could have waited off a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like Atkins and Shapiro got what they wanted because the Blue Jays went five and one, uh, with Schneider's first uh, six games there. So they, they got the momentum into the All-Star break. And like after that firing happens, we hear all of these stories come out by uh, reporting by uh, Caitlin McGrath and Shai Davidi, who are talking to the players. And then we hear that um, Charlie Montoyo's kind of lost the locker room, and that's kind of the reason that he was fired. Like, what do, you, what do you make of the whole situation about, like, Bichette coming out and saying he doesn't disagree with the firing, and then anonymous players saying that, yeah, we needed a, a firmer uh, voice in that room? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's not, it's not something that I necessarily saw coming, because I always thought that Charlie was a well-liked manager by the players. I kind of felt like he created a good atmosphere for them to you know be themselves be young fun baseball players they do the home run jacket they have all their celebrations they operate with i think more of a flair than we see most other teams in major league baseball have and i think charlie's a part of that because he creates a calm atmosphere but that being said i think if you looked hard enough you could kind of see instances where there was frustration with decisions Charlie was making. There was um, in the first game against Kansas City or against Philadelphia right before Charlie wound up getting fired is he challenged a play at first base that Vladdy pretty clearly was shaking off. Don't challenge this play and challenged anyway. And Vladdy looked visibly angry about it. There was also a report that came out while they were uh, just after they finished up in Seattle on the Sunday. Um, a Seattle beat reporter said that it was clear being around the bench that the Jays were angry at their manager and they weren't happy with him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not tremendously shocking. This kind of stuff doesn't come out because I don't think too many players want to be going out and telling that to a media guy in the room at that time. Or if a media person does hear that and you go ahead and report on it while it's, you know, while Charlie's still employed, then you kind of lose the trust of those in the room. And I guess that's the challenge you're navigating is, yes, you're a journalist, but you're also like, you need to maintain your contacts. So there's this and that, but millions of times we have seen a coach or somebody get fired. And all of a sudden when they're on their way out, that's when we hear everything. And this won't be the last time this happens. Yeah. I had one of the, uh, the quotes here. It was, uh, well, the Bush, the, the Bichette quote in particular is that I think we needed something 
uh, to send us in the right direction. This is not my area to worry about. We'll come to the field ready to play as hard as we can. The front office has made their decision on what they thought was necessary. I don't disagree. I think they'll bring direction. I think they'll bring accountability. They'll bring a presence that's really important for a team. That's He's speaking about the new manager. And I'm super excited for Casey to get here and for Schneids to get the opportunity. And the way I kind of look at the situation is a lot of the decision-making by Montoya is kind of taken out of his hands. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you, we can debate over you bring in a pitcher at this time or, or your lineup card. But when you're a baseball manager, you're really just a people manager. You're managing the players. And, and if he lost the players, then that's it. Then like there was no other decision for management to make but let him go. Yeah, exactly. And I think also kind of the ironic thing for Charlie and the Shapiro Atkins front office is that a a big thing when Charlie was hired was that he was kind of brought in to be a vessel for them is he was going to manage in their style. They were pretty analytics, high performance department focused. So there was always kind of a joke in Blue Jays circles, which is, oh, it's just the algorithm or the spreadsheet deciding who's going to pitch here, who's going to pinch hit or who's going to do what. And my guess would be the players on the team were aware of that and kind of said in, internally or maybe out loud that, okay, is Charlie really even a manager or is it the computer? And then there was also word that John Schneider's already been doing, you know, different strategic stuff with the team before he was put into the role. So it kind of seems like Schneider had been the manager or the motivator, I guess, at heart for quite some time, especially because he has that connection with guys from double A when they won the championship. So, yeah, ultimately, it did seem kind of inevitable, though it is kind of unfortunate. I feel bad for Charlie because I think he did everything the front office asked of him and he just kind of wound up being their 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 scapegoat or their sacrificial lamb, I guess. Yeah, the the word I keep hearing uh, as uh, after he got fired was people pleaser. Like he mm-hmm. seemed to be, he seemed to be in agreement with everybody around him. That everybody got along with Charlie. Like no one, no one disagreed with him. But that was kind of what the players didn't need at the time. You know, they didn't. Yeah. They needed somebody to really kick them in the butt, and Charlie wasn't going to be that guy because he was too on the side of, of mm-hmm. everybody in the front office and in the bench. Right. Though there is a little bit of an irony with that. And when you see a guy like Bo Bichette, for example, saying, I don't necessarily disagree with firing Charlie. He is, I think, a player who benefited quite a bit from Charlie's calmness and his patience, because there's been people screaming that Bo's not good enough defensively to play short for quite some time. And it seemed that even if he was booting balls or making the same throw that sailed over the first baseman, he continued to go out and play short the next day. And if there's a more old school, more hold you accountable manager, Bo might be a second baseman right now. So right. there is a little bit of an irony there, though I don't disagree. The Jays, I think it it does seem fairly loose on that team and they could use a kick in the ass to kind of get themselves, I guess, more focused. That's kind of a cheesy hockey fan way of looking at it, but that's just how this market views the Jays. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I empathize, though I do see it from both sides. Yeah, and we're never going to get away from the hockey fandom here. Yeah, right? absolutely it's, it's not. Always going to be number one. Yeah, and and with the with the Schneider uh, upgrade to to manager, like 
it reminds me of another situation here in Toronto of the Dwayne Casey firing and then bringing in Nick Nurse. You know, Nick Nurse was regarded as the guy who really implemented the defense uh, that that made the Raptors stand out. And they let go of Dwayne Casey and they just brought in the guy who's kind of doing all the strategic stuff anyways. And uh, what we've heard and what it looks like is that Schneider was kind of running the whole show. You know, he was kind of doing all of the minutiae while Charlie was managing. And now they've just upgraded his position so he can do it all now. Yeah, pretty much. And there was also word that Schneider was getting attention from different teams as yeah. somebody who could be a future manager in the big leagues. Whereas with Charlie, and this isn't meant to be like a criticism of Charlie. This is just what I've seen reported is that he was even be, like before he was hired by the Jays, there was no talk that really this guy was in the discussion to manage somewhere else. There wasn't really a concern. Oh, Charlie might up and leave us. Whereas with John Schneider, it was like, okay, we view this guy deep down as the manager of the future. The players like him, the young guys like him. There's, you know, teams saying they might interview him this winter. So I think we have to pull the trigger and give him his role. And that probably played into it quite a bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, like, moving forward for the, for the Jays the rest of the season, the this weekend series that they had against Kansas City and, uh, and Philly, it, it there was a lot of promising things there. Like, the, the relief pitching, really, it, it kind of turned around a bit there. You know, there wasn't a lot of um, – there wasn't a lot of runs given up. You know, um, Trevor – Trevor Richards looked good. Um, I don't know. It, it it seemed like okay, the firing is gonna it's gonna stabilize things and moving forward here, we reset after these four days, and then now it's really it's got to get going. You know, do you think the team's underperformed so far? Because I'm definitely in that camp. That hey, we got World Series expectations, not third wild card uh, position expectations. Let's get things going here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Jays are fifty and forty three at the All Star break. The last few games there. Like you said, it was kind of a, a weird roller coaster ride because, okay, so Philadelphia and Kansas City, it's six games, they go five and one. But for some reason in your head, it doesn't feel like they went five and one during that stretch because they lost that one really terrible 3 1 game to Kansas City right off the hop. And then they came back and edged them out a couple times. And it's like, well, this is the Royals missing 10 guys. You know, this should, this, should, this should be a team you roll over. But I mean, there's no such thing as an easy win. But yeah, like the Jays are 50 and 43. That's, it's pretty good. Like it's better than what it could be you could be the chicago white Sox, the team that's supposed to win their division and they're you know under 500 and you have a big like big hill to climb whereas for the jays like you're in a playoff spot right now it's about maintaining where where you are so it could be worse but it's far from ideal like this isn't a season where it's just like let's make the playoffs and see what happens this is a season where it's like if you don't win a playoff series then the year is considered a failure like the Jays are all in. They're, they're trying to win. They're trying to do something in the playoffs. And, you know, if they come up short against the Yankees or something in the ALCS, that's fine. It's not a huge loss. That's baseball. But if they finish sixth in the American League and just get swept aside by whoever, that's definitely not going to be a win. So we need to see more from the team in the second half. And I guess over the next two and a half weeks here before the trade deadline, the team's going to show the front office whether they're worth going all in on. They had a pretty significant trade deadline last year. They had a significant trade deadline in the COVID year, too, when they acquired Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling, Taiwan Walker. You know, last year it's Barrios. That was a huge get. So are they going to do it again? Or are they going to sit there and be like, you know what? Like, we'll try and see what happens with what we have, but we're not comfortable trading prospects away this year. It's a, it's a really important next couple of weeks, really. Yeah, this little stretch here is going to be season-defining for them because, yeah, it's it's the name that everybody wants to say in relation to the Jays, 
uh, Juan Soto. You know, the next couple of weeks is like, okay, do we make the giant move where we send seven prospects out for for the guy who could be one of the best hitters for the next decade in Major League Baseball? Or do we not have enough? Or even if we don't have enough, is he the guy who you bring in who pushes the team uh, to the next level? And if 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 older baseball fans are listening out there, you might remember uh, back in 2007 when the uh, Florida Marlins traded Miguel Cabrera to the Detroit Tigers. Like this situation, when he was 24 and one of the best hitters in baseball and already won a World Series, Juan Soto, 23, already won a World Series, one of the best hitters in baseball. That deal took seven prospects and taking on a giant contract of uh, Dontrell Willis. Right now, the Nationals are in a very similar situation. And do you think, Cam, that the Blue Jays have enough capital, prospect capital, to get that deal done and bring in Soto and pay him hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah, I think honestly, like they're a team that could get it done. I mean, the Jays, they're owned by Rogers. They have a tremendous amount of money to operate with. We haven't yet seen them. Like we've seen the Shapiro Atkins front office spend. We've, you know, George Springer, uh, Kevin Gosman, Barrios. They're not afraid to spend money, but we haven't seen them explode over the luxury tax and, you know, have a huge, huge, huge LA Dodgers payroll. And I mean, the Jays have one pretty, like, they have a few needs, but a pretty significant need they have is adding a left-handed bat. And I mean, Soto's like a, uh, an insanely good hitter, like not just like a pretty good young player. This is a guy that's like, something close to a 1,000 OPS over five years in the league. So if you're the Jays and your contention windows right now, and this guy's going to make your lineup significantly better because he gives you that excellent left-handed bat, I think you shouldn't be afraid to sell the farm 100%. But the other thing to consider is that Washington's probably also going to want to get back a young player that's already on the roster so they can sell jerseys and tickets next year. I mean, it can't just be seven minor leaguers going back. Like they might say like, okay, on top of Gabe Moreno, Ricky Tiedemann and Aralvis Martinez and Nate Pearson, we also want Bo. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself, okay, like is, is it worth it giving up a guy from the team right now to add another guy that can help right now? Like, where do you draw the line? Like, okay, maybe Bo's a bit too much. And then they say, well, I want Alejandro Kirk. He's a all-star starting catcher. Does, is that something you can accept? Or is that, well, this guy's on the team right now and he's making the team better. We can't get rid of him. And that's kind of the challenge I think for the Jays is accepting who on the current roster you, you allow to go back in a trade. I think the one player, I mean, Vladdy's obviously going nowhere, but the other player you simply can't give up is Alec Manoa. If Washington comes back and they're like, well, we need your number one arm, but you, you can't do that because that's going to, you know, shaft your starting rotation. So the Jays have to ask themselves, how comfortable are they probably giving up a good young player? And that's not an easy thing to do. What's your list? My list ends at those two names you mentioned, Vladdy and Manoa. That's it. I think everybody else is tradable if you're getting Juan Soto back. Where, where, where do you end your list? I think that's probably where I'm at, too. Okay. Um, it, it, it depends on the context. Yeah. Like I have a hard time wrapping my head around trading Vladdy. I just, I don't really see how you do trading a franchise icon like that seems unrealistic to me. And then Manoa is the homegrown potential to be the best homegrown pitcher since Roy holiday. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's unreasonable to say. And then with Bo, it's, you know, he had a phenomenal season last year and he's regressed a bit this year to a point where I had, a, I mean, some people could make the argument that Kirk is more valuable because he's a fantastic two-way catcher that can hit and defend whereas Bo's a bit of an enigmatic shortstop bat first guy not a tremendously amazing glove not a gold glove caliber guy but you know 
you can make that argument. And I think some people might value Kirk over Bo, but I'd say, yeah, definitely. Those are my two. Vladi and Manoa cannot be involved in the trade. Uh, otherwise you're going to, that's, that's shooting yourself in the foot quite a bit, but geez, it's pretty hard to part with, with Kirk or Bo as well. That's, that's really tough, but I also really love the idea of acquiring Soto. So I think I'll leave my untouchables at those two. It's just Vladi and it's just Manoa. Kirk is such a great story too. He is. You know, like after struggling and like the way, the way the Blue Jays found him, uh, I believe he was playing in a Tijuana league down in Mexico and, and they paid him like 7,500 bucks when he was a teenager to come join the, their farm system. And like, he's an unbelievable story. Like I'd hate yeah. to see him go, but you know, and then you're like, you're getting Juan Soto back, you know? Yeah. You got to give to get, and that's just the way it is. And Juan Soto's, um, <laughs> I mean, you're adding like, as good of a bat as you can possibly add to the middle of your lineup and one you need so badly because they are so right-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the lefty, the lefty situation. It's it's that and the bullpen. You know, that and yeah. probably a fifth starter. Like if you're if you're really getting greedy, like that's probably the Blue Jays needs and and mm-hmm. the trade deadline's coming up here, so we'll see what they do. And uh before I let you go here, Cam, I just want to know what did you think of the Oilers uh offseason so far? And who won free agent free agency frenzy? Well, I will say from an Oilers perspective, it's been pretty wild to see just how <laughs> they managed to just destroy the Calgary Flames franchise. <laughs> you had that <laughs> playoff series win in the second round, and then Johnny Gaudreau says, "I'm out," and now Matt Tuchuk looks like he's saying, "I'm out" as well. And it's like <laughs> we've gone from these two teams being at the top of the division, duking it out, to <laughs> the Flames look like they're about to implode. But Oilers themselves, I think it's been positive. I mean, I think the goal is you're coming in with very little cap space and they managed to get a bit more cap space with Duncan Keith retiring Mm -hmm. and Mike Smith going on the LTIR. And they brought the band back from last year while also probably making an upgrade in net. I mean, as Toronto people know, Jack Campbell might not be the A1 starting goalie, but I think he's probably more of a consistent option than either Smith or Miko Koskinen. So that's probably an upgrade. Mm -hmm. But as Toronto people know, I don't think many Leafs fans wanted to offer Jack Campbell five years, five mil annually. So well, everybody yeah. in Toronto is very familiar with the Oilers because it's basically Toronto from two years ago plus dry saddle and McDavid. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's been what three off seasons in a row now. They've added a Leaf. It was first it was Barry, then last year it was CC, and now it's and Hyman too, and now it's Jack Campbell. So we're only yeah. what two years away from Austin Matthews starting in Edmonton. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, you never know. McDavid goes east, Matthews goes west. Sure, why not? Let's oh, get gosh. some chaos in here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is with uh, with uh, management over there and their their need to bring in ex Leafs, but That's the one one shocking thing about it is that Ken Holland just loves the 2019-20 Leafs. Yet he didn't make Mike Babcock the head coach of the Oilers, which I quite honestly really thought was going to happen back when they fired Dave Tippett. I thought it was inevitable, and it didn't oh, happen. Gosh. That oh, the mess that would have been. I like if of all markets, I don't think he would have survived Edmonton very long. Yeah, that would have, that would have been a hell of a challenge for Mike Babcock. Yeah. Oh gosh. Anyways, well, thank you. Maybe maybe one day I'll bring you on just to strictly talk hockey. But, sure, I'd, but, I'd happily talk. Uh, I have all kinds of things to say about the Oilers and Flames relationship right now. We're we're riding very high. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys don't don't. Uh, claim you destroyed their franchise like it's a little far i feel bad for flames fans they're going through it right now but oh, no, it I'm has sorry. not been great the last month no. for them 
Yeah. To, to be fair, I will say this about the Flames. I think they can probably rebound. I think Nazem Kadri would be a great fit for them. Mm-hmm. I just think getting, I think if you had, if you can keep to Chuck around and you can add Kadri, you'd have the most annoying team to play against in the NHL. And right. they have a fantastic goalie. They have depth. They can still most certainly be a playoff team next year without Goudreau. And I'd rather have them be a playoff team because Edmonton and Calgary playing in the playoffs is fantastic. It's that's what we want, and that it's so infrequent. These two teams are good at the same time. Yeah, it's a it's fantastic when it's competitive, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and this year it wasn't it wasn't quite that at the end, you know. No. <laughs> so so yeah, uh, one day I'll bring you on just to talk hockey. But today it was for all of your wonderful baseball knowledge, and I really appreciate it, Cam. That's uh, Cam Lewis, content creator over at Blue Jays Nation. Find him also on Oilers Nation and all the daily. Uh, Daily face-off. Daily face-off. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, And listen to uh, Blue Jays Nation Radio as well, wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. I appreciate it. That is it for us today. I just wanted to hop on here and update you on the schedule moving forward. Before I take a long break in August from podcasting and all this content creation, um, I'm going to be taking a long break there. So I'm going to have three, possibly four more podcasts on this podcast feed coming up. Uh, in the next couple weeks, in the next three weeks, I'll have three, maybe fourth. I might squeeze in a fourth there as well. Uh, one of the ones I'm really excited about that I'll tell you about uh, right now is after the race in Hungary, the F1 race in Hungary on the 31st. That following week, I'm going to have a big breakdown of the season that was so far and the season look ahead. So I'm very excited for that one. Look for that the week of August uh, 1st. Yeah, almost, almost at the summer break time. Almost time to peace out and recharge uh, for the big, long run into the fall. Uh, But yeah, thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here right now watching or listening to this right now. I appreciate you. I'll see you a couple more times before August. Take care. And that is how it's done. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. Jesse Blake, the guy that likes to hear his name twice in one sentence. Sure, I know him. No, he doesn't have an ego at all.